Welcome to Trailer Therapy, a podcast about trailers, media, and entertainment hosted by two best frenemies. Hey, I'm your host, Brian McKinney, along with my fellow co-host, Brian Wynn. Hi, I'm Brian Wynn. Welcome back to Trailer Therapy. Welcome back, Brian. It's week number 32 or something. Uh, <laughs> episode 50. I don't even know where we're at, but we're, we're you going know, right along. 57. What, <laughs> what's the difference? We haven't missed a week. I'm kind of surprised. No. You know, and it is entirely on you. Our work ethic for trailer therapy is completely dictated by your commitment. And it's, it's one, it's inspiring. Two, it's uh, motivating for me because there are plenty of weeks where I'm like, you know, maybe we can take a week off. And you're like, no, nah, we should just get it done. I'm like, all right, you know. You are a yeah. motivating force of nature, and I'm just kind of – I feel like I'm along for the ride. <laughs> I'm, I have to wrangle you, but I know it's just because you're busy. <laughs> like, it's Sunday, and you're doing Zoom calls and, like, doing recording sessions, and I'm not as busy as you. So it's a little bit easier for me to be like, Brian, dude, get on the, get on so the mic I, I'm and let's record a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, I'm gone in the wind. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, we're this is uh this is episode seven. So this is the seventh week we've been doing this. Um and I never feel like there's a shortage of what to say or topics to really talk about just because of how we've kind of approached this thing and kind of how Every week kind of goes by, and it feels like everyone's always super interested in hearing what's going to happen. Our Discord has been, you know, growing every single day. And Love that. every time, yeah, every time that, you know, we're like, what topic should we bring? It doesn't take us that long. It's within seconds where we're like, oh, we should talk about this, and we just kind of go with it. So it's a true testament to what this industry is, it's a true testament to the community that wants to, you know, continually hear these things. And uh, yeah, just super stoked, man. It, it's, it's one of those things where I'm definitely motivated when I know that there's people on the other side listening to this that want to listen to this. So, yeah. yeah. So other than that, you know, it's another week. And although me and you talk pretty much every hour, you know, um, broad strokes, man, what are, uh, what are you up to this week? Well, what am I up to this week? Uh, took down Halloween, putting up Christmas. <laughs> so I've been... <laughs> carrying boxes like crazy up and down from the basement for my wife and she's been decorating um doing a lot of that i'm still going through x files doing my my I play through which nice. I, I haven't watched the x files like at all since the original run so while i do remember a lot of the episodes you know it's sort of like a new thing for me because it's been what 20 years or more, twenty five, maybe. Yeah, didn't they come? Didn't they come out with like a revised, like sequel series to it, like the original cast? Oh, yeah, and everything came back? I think they, they did like a, like a limited run series, maybe. Uh, like twenty four. I think so. Yeah, oh, I mean, and they did some movies too. Oh, whoa, okay. I I, I have zero clue. Like uh, my wife, she would tell me stories of her watching X Files as a kid, but I never got into it. Only because I've only really watched as a kid stuff that my sisters or mom would watch. So if this yeah. was like Charmed or One Tree Hill or one of those <laughs> things, then yeah, like I'm in the know. But for X Files, I feel like I have a lot of catching up to do. It's yeah, they hold up. I mean, you know, it's like maybe the fashion doesn't hold up since it was like the late '90s, but um, the the show holds up. 
I've been enjoying it a lot. Where are you watching it? Is it on a streaming service? Yeah, it's on Hulu. Oh, okay. Cool, cool, cool. Okay, I'll start watching it. It's Fox, so yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Throw it on. You'll enjoy it. Yeah, it comes out strong. Um, Yeah, other than that, you know, just hanging out, working. Yeah. What about you? Man, I beat Spider-Man. Nice. (laughs) Spider-Man 2. It was uh, a very pro. I felt like if they just literally took this game verbatim and split it into like three Spider-Man movies, that's your new trilogy right there. Your Tom Holland movies. There there you go. Like um, if Sony ever wanted to like, you know, they're like, man, what ideas should we run into? You know, what should we do? Just do that because that was fantastic and yeah it, it was great uh, we i know that me and you kind of briefly talked about game of the year but you know what after beating him i don't know i feel like it's a really? shoe in i feel like it's a shoe in especially if you like the first one and the sequel miles morales it's a really profound story and i felt like man it was one of those games where i just felt like it was fun to play and i feel like it's harder these days to kind of find those where you just you no matter what, even if the story was bad, it was just a fun game to play, you know? I mean, everyone knew it was going to be on the the list of best of just because yeah. it's a Sony first party game, yeah. which there aren't very many. And, you know, it's coming off the highly touted Miles Morales game and the, you know, the Spider-Man 2018. So I think people knew it was going to be good, but they didn't know if it was going to be more of the same, you know, you're like yeah. doing the same kind of thing, just different missions, different bad guys, but... It sounds like they did a good job. Yeah, like I won't go too crazy into it, but the game is substantially faster than the last game. And it was purely because they have the first game in 2018 was running off PS4 hardware. So it was capped out at a certain uh, frame rate or certain memory size. So it was busy loading and rendering the map as you're going. So they slowed you down so they had time to render. Whereas the PS5 can do that like instantaneously. So they're like, they just up the ante. Like, I feel like you're just flying from one end of the map of New York to the other, and the map is huge. So that's all I'll say about the game because this isn't a video game podcast. But, you know, it is legit. I'm I'm super stoked. But now that that's over, I'm contemplating whether or not to go back to Cyberpunk so that I can play the, fan, uh, the Phantom Liberty DLC because I got that all loaded up now. It's so good. I've been playing that in my free time. Yeah, so like that is something I am contemplating. I have it downloaded, but you know, it's just it's just time, you know. So I, yeah. I downloaded, but then I every time I'm about to click play, I'm like, should I be playing? <laughs> I I throw out on the Steam Deck so I could just kind of like play a little bit before bed and it's not true. have to worry about being tethered to a console. But yeah, um, enough nerdy stuff, man. Let's talk about some cool trailer stuff. No, I'm just kidding. Do you have more to say about it? No, but no. But first off, in, tr- in you know, industry, the strike is over, you know? And it's it's crazy to think about because if you follow social media like TikTok or Instagram in the last, like, 48 to 72 hours, mm-hmm. you've been seeing so much push on everything. Even Simu, uh, the guy who plays Xiong Chi, who is also in Barbie, he yeah. is now talking about Barbie still. He just started oh, talking cool. about Barbie. And then uh, Timothy Shamalette, uh, he was just on Saturday Night Live, and they even yeah. did this whole skit where, like, they were just talking, and out of nowhere, he was like, Wonga, 
And they're like, what? What? He's like, Willy Wonka. I get to finally talk about Willy Wonka. I'm playing Willy Wonka. You know, like, so it's like. Well, yeah, I mean, they like, rehearsed the show. They rehearsed that show all week and wrote all the skits before the strike ended. So, yeah, it's like yeah. he was able to throw some of that stuff in at the end. I think that's interesting because I know people were talking about, oh, yeah, going to like and- sneak in some things and be like, like talking about like Johnny Depp and like Gene Wilder and the other, you know, Willy Wonka's to just yeah. have some sort of like covert. But yeah, it's and it's crazy because like uh, you had you had Brie Larson uh, show up on, I believe, Jimmy Fallon. I believe, or it was Jimmy Fallon, I believe, yeah. And then uh, he, she was able to talk about, one, she was able to talk about the Marvels, which yeah. if there's any time to have to promote a movie, like, she should do it now. Because, you know, they're just coming off their opening weekend. Sales aren't as, as, as big as they thought it would be, so it would be a really good push for them. But then she also got to talk about, like, two other projects she was working on. Well, some of the memes that I saw of, like, Kevin Feige, like, waking Brie Larson up out of bed on Wednesday night and be like, get out there and... Promote the Marvel. <laughs> yeah, I felt like the strike ended, and like twenty minutes later, she showed up <laughs> to talk. You know, yeah. And I yeah, imagine, exactly. I imagine talk shows have been just hurting the last few months and stuff like Ooh. that because that was a good core of their interviews where people promoting, you know, their upcoming stuff. And I noticed, I remember, like, what about the hot ones? Because that's legitimately the whole sure. ploy of the hot ones is for them to be able to promote whatever project they're working on. So yeah. It ended, and because of that, it kind of lined up with a lot of uh, studios, which we'll go into and stuff. But this was also a crazy week for trailers. Just ridiculous. Like, well, I'll you let know, you segue into well, first, it, you know? Well, for, first, um, another big thing, trailer industry, was the Clio Awards. Oh, yeah. Just a couple nights ago. And I, you know, I don't want to gloss over that. Um, but that that's a big deal for our industry, you know, it is an award for trailer marketing, entertainment marketing. And, uh, it's, yeah, it's always really exciting to see who won for what project. And, um, yeah, you know, as trailer music publishers and composers, we don't really get recognized at them, but we know (laughs) which ones we worked on. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're still like going through being like, Oh, Oh, cool, cool. This one won that one won. Yeah, you know, and it, you know, we it's just how we word it if we we talk about it and stuff. It's you know, it is definitely a show for the agencies, the vendors, you know. So it it's yeah. their night to be able to celebrate their wins because when we work on let's say if it's a custom and we work V1, V5, whatever it is, and we're done with it and we're we're out for the night. They're still working on it, you know. Yeah. So it's really a celebration for them. And we're all just, you know, for any of the music publishers that had that had their piece nominated and stuff, it's still a big deal for us too. Only for the pure fact was we were kind of part of the story. And like honestly, if you mute the trailers, they're gonna have a different infliction than if yeah. you had our music or sound design in it. So um, it was definitely it's always it's always really cool to see what's trending. I remember I went to the Clio's, what was it, 2019, and it was entirely Deadpool two. Mm. And then like you know, so like. And then last year was like entirely Stranger Things that you know what is like trending in terms of like what marketing is like really pushing for. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's one of those things. It's 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 super cool to see. And I know that you know we just came off the Golden Trailer Awards not too long ago. But then like when you look at the difference, it's like it's all of marketing. It's the 
home entertainment. It's the crazy, you know, social campaigns and stuff. It's the marquee markups. It's it's everything, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's not just the trailers. It's key art and all sorts of different elements to it. Yeah, no. So, like, yeah, that was super cool. I completely, you know, blanked. You're like, Cleo's. I'm like, oh, that's right. We did have Cleo's <laughs> this past week. <laughs> I don't want to forget it was about just that. that many, it was just that many good trailers that came out that we were like, oh, yeah. You know, it was one of those kind of weeks. Yeah, so, you know, on our podcast, we like to put up um, – post trailers that drop. Um, but you, we usually we wait until we know, you know, like who cut it, who did the music, uh, because, yeah. you know, we like to share that composers like to know who's been working on what. Uh, and it's very interesting to our industry, but it's not like, you know, when the YouTube video goes up for the new Ghostbusters, which we'll talk about, it's not like it says, you know, cut by so-and-so with music by so-and-so. So we've got to do some research and, you know, track down and try to figure out who it is before we post it. So we have up-to-date information. But as soon as I saw the first one we want, that I want to talk about, I went ahead and posted it. I'm like, this is so cool. We've been waiting for this for a while. I know we talked about this show and it's yeah. Reacher season two, um, which is an Amazon original Amazon prime based on the uh, series Reacher by, uh, oh boy, I shouldn't even say that because now I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Uh, <laughs> by very ex-talented author. <laughs> Lee, Lee Childs? I think that's right. Sounds about right. <laughs> Lee Child, singular. There we go. Thank you, yeah. Google. Yeah, so I, I went ahead and posted that right away and then actually found out who it was pretty quickly. It was cut by AV Squad with music yeah. by Divergence. Um Oh, geez, I'm kicking all my special effects <laughs> sound <laughs> sound makers over the bottom of my desk. It's very, uh, there's a horror emphasis. <laughs> there's a shaker that comes on. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, cut cut by AV Squad, Music by Divergence, and it was a custom of Hearts Crazy on You, and which is, you know, something we'll be talking about a little bit later, Era Customs, and, you know, it's a remix of, of this popular song. But I, yeah, I was so excited. I've been waiting for the show to come back, and I think it's just a really fun show. It's gritty. It's visceral. It's funny. The actor, and I can't think of his name. I apologize. You know, he's also on, uh, what was that, DC show? Um, it was the one with Robin and stuff. Yeah. it was what, Titans? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Titans. Yeah. Titans. Um, you know, and he played this, like, football meathead dude who I it was kind of like my least favorite character on the show, but then he comes on Reacher. I'm like, I love this guy. He's so fun. I've seen him in comedies and stuff too. And I felt like he really did well in that. And then he did these kind of roles and I'm just like, man, he is just gigantic. He's just a gigantic man. And they play off of that the entire like um, first season. I remember there's a scene where he's just wearing zip ties or something. And then they're like, because yeah. the handcuffs wouldn't fit him. <laughs> And then at one point he just pops them off when they're going to let him out of the cell. He's like, like I could have done that the whole time. So funny. So good. Superman was just sitting there and he just like stands up and just goes, you know? So yeah, it was a crazy, you know, and I always worry with Amazon projects because they would release like an amazing season one and then they never follow up with the season two. And I'm looking at paper girls because that season one was just an absolutely fantastic show. But so when Reacher came, I'm like, I like, I 
didn't watch any marketing for it the first time for the first season I watched the show and I'm like this is really good I don't know if everyone is liking this show but I do because it has a little bit of monk which I love it has those action moments but like overall it was just a very enthralling story and uh yeah so I was super stoked you woke me up with it I woke up to a text message from you about the trailer and then that's when I watched it so it was the first thing I did that day you know yeah Moving on from Reacher, um, one of the big ones that was really exciting for the rest of my household that doesn't watch mature action adventure shows is uh, Ghost Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters, Frozen Empire. Boy, that's a mouthful. Uh, it was the teaser for Ghostbusters, Frozen Empire, cut by Big Picture, music by Totem, another remix. This one was Cruel Summer by Bananarama. Yeah, like uh, we were kind of uh, wondering who was going to do the teaser. And, you know, Sony actually did that thing that we were talking about where they dropped like a tease of a tease. Yeah. And then they dropped the teaser. Yeah. The day before. And I think that's it's a very effective method, but they use a little bit of uh, their outro, their main title card in that tease. And me and you guessed who it was when (laughs) we heard it. We're like, it sounds really, really big. It's Totem. And then it came out. And then I'm like, man, if it's Totem, it's probably Big Picture because uh, Big Picture cut the um, the final trailer that came out, uh, you know, the last movie that came out, what, like a year or two ago? A couple years ago, um, yeah. Yeah. And it Ghostbusters was Ghostbusters Afterlife. It, yeah, Afterlife. And it was an original, you know, it was an original cue by Totem yeah. as well. So it follows a trend. And uh, it was a great, it was a great trailer. Like, I think. Some of the things that they always try to avoid with these kind of campaigns is um, avoiding any sort of the theme. They want to definitely establish a new demographic with these movies as well. I think they are succeeding really well, having Paul Rudd in this and then having, sure, the original cast, but really, you know, bringing in uh, that kid Finn from Stranger Things. Yeah. And I think it's a, it's a good time. I think uh, Sony's definitely been delivering the heat with these kind of things. They're just delivering you know dope action movies and this is just one of those family adventures that kind of teetered the line between pg and pg 13 yeah that i think a lot of people are going to really like resonate with and i think it's going to do really well it's the it's the kind of movie right now where like obviously you can tell from looking at the views that it's 14 like, million <laughs> yeah it's like 14 million which is crazy because in less than a know, week yeah it's so it just shows you the testament of a strong ip followed up with a really strong marketing, followed up with, uh, yeah, an overall really cohesive film that looks great, you know? I don't I don't remember when they said that the release date's going to be, but a piece like this... I think it, February. You know, yeah, so February. So they're already going to start, which is great because I think that was originally the plan uh, slated date anyways yeah. um, before the strike, and now they still have a ton of time to do marketing for it and have these cast members do their press junkets and stuff like that so it's going to be really good for them um you know but yeah that was a great trailer ghostbusters frozen empire so they did the frozen at uh, the frozen the cruel summer remix at mm. the beginning and then it sort of like transitioned into an original cue which is yeah. where, where we were like oh yeah that's got to be totem yeah. um so yeah i thought that was really interesting it kind of was like a duel you know it wasn't like the whole trailer the whole like remix all the way through yeah but it set the tone and then moved into the original score stuff yeah and you know we'll get into it with the the later topics and stuff but some of the really interesting things about customs and stuff is that 
you're able to kind of build off of these pre-existing songs and remix them, give them a little bit of a cinematic flair. But because you're already kind of doing the customs for them, it it's so moldable and flexible when you break off into an original cue in the back because you can keep it in the same key and tempo sure. and everything just feels cohesive without it feeling like a rug pull into like a different cue which if you were to go back 2006 2010 era even if they were to use an original song and they break out to like an orchestral arrangement or like some sort of library cue it was always difficult to sort of mold the two together it was always tethered by some sort of stop down but then yes, it always yes. had like a mood shift so that's always something con- like you know conscientiously that we think about when we're working on this stuff. So, a good one. Um, other than that, that we'll do like a quick kind of segue to like a, a good flurry of trailers. There is a ton, just a ton that dropped this week. Uh, yeah, and they dropped like later in the week, so I didn't even have time to put them on our outline. But yeah, go ahead and run through some of them. Yeah, like it was. Uh, it's essentially a sequel drop too to drop one that happened with Netflix earlier and uh like you know what was it like a month or two ago that we talked about yeah and it was you know during the SAG strike and everything like that there is you know some exceptions that can be made especially with animation studios so Netflix has you know sure they have their core business and originals like Stranger Things Ozark um at the time and like the IO and stuff so but other than that, they have a huge presence in like animation as well, you know, both in westernized animation and in like uh, international ones like yes. like anime. So like this year, the, we we've we've always known that One Piece was coming out, but then we also knew that Avatar: The Last Airbender was going to be coming out. There was also going to be a live action of Yu Yu Hakusho, and all of those came out. So you know, Avatar. The last Airbender, everyone's been kind of waiting for it because it's a, it's kind of like our do-over. It's an apology <laughs> letter also to M. Night Shyamalan's uh, yes. uh, piece of cinema. <laughs> right. But uh, but yeah, Calvary did the custom to that. It kind of interweaved in some of the themes from the original show. And it it's all encapsulated to the season one of Avatar The Last Airbender for anyone that watched it. And it was cool. It's bold. I like the fact that they uh, kept the Avatar name on there as opposed to just calling it The Last Airbender like M. Night right. Shyamalan did. And try, yeah, trying to break away from the M. Night Shyamalan movie that wasn't as well received. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, it had, to put the, it politely. It had the issue of coming out shortly after Avatar. <laughs> you know, yes, movie. very confusing. Yes. So, uh, yeah, so there was that. There was on the Netflix side, you know, sure, they showed off Castlevania. They showed off Witcher, which was an animation. They showed off the final trailer for Scott Pilgrim. Mm-hmm. They showed off uh, Damsel, which, you know, is another yeah. Millie. It's a Millie, Millie Bobby, Bobby Brown. Brown. Yeah, and that was uh, that was Calvary. Calvary did that, too. So they they did a good cleanup on that one. We got a Project X win with uh, Orion in the Dark, which was based nice off one. a children's book um, that was, you know, entirely library. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so Geek Week is still going on. And I checked Twitter. I checked Twitter today, and they said that they're dropping uh, the the final piece for Geek Week is Rebel Moon that drops at the end of today. So uh, that'll be something cool and maybe uh, something that we'll be able to post about tomorrow in terms of who did it you know so that'd be you know it's always great other than netflix we got you know heavy hitters from streaming services too like apple dropped two big trailers this this week too you got the family plan that was cut over at wildcard and then congratulations (laughs) (laughs) thank you 
And then, uh, yeah, good old Ice Ice Baby remix. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, a few days later, they drop this beautiful Apple trailer, also by Wildcard, which was Masters of the Air, which is, you know, you got Elvis in it, and <laughs> he's doing his Elvis thing. And then uh, that was also done by Calvary. So Calvary had a good cleanup week. They did uh, three or four trailers this week as well. So, um, yeah, so that was a lot. And there was no way that we can really give each one its individual attention because it came out faster than we can talk about them. But exactly. we definitely wanted we definitely wanted to at least acknowledge that they were there and how how crazy important it is for the industry to know that there's still such an influx of projects, you know. Sure, for the last few months I feel like everyone's just been working on post production stuff. Right. But like, man, like it's gonna be such a good year next year for films, for TV. There's it's almost gonna be like a renaissance period because we had like a few months of shutdown and then you know, all this is going to pick back up and I feel like it's just going to push people to do bigger and better things. And yeah, so. Yeah, we're going to be busy. We're all going to be busy. Both, I mean, podcast wise, talking about all this stuff, but also working on all this stuff. No, definitely. It's 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 definitely one of those things where I feel like it's going to, it's definitely going to snowball. And, you know, for a lot of people in the custom scene and stuff like that, they've, they've just, you know, we've been waiting for the period of time where it's just going to completely stop. And we, everyone was worried about what would happen if the strike happened. It lasted until the end of December into the new year, you know? So like, you know, campaigns are going to get stretched. Some campaigns are going to double down. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw some movies redo a new trailer and drop right back theatrically. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if some movies that didn't get that spotlight, just come back and try to do it again, you know? Yeah, I, I'm thinking of Craven, you know? Like, we did that. I worked on that Red Band trailer that dropped a few months yeah. ago. And then there was, like, no follow-up. There wasn't even, like, a green band, <laughs> you know? it was. <laughs> uh, I was, like, waiting for, like, I'm like, all right, so the Red Band just dropped, so the green band's going to drop any day now. And it, I, I don't think it ever did. That was a ridiculous trailer, by the way. I, I approve of any movie that you see a man throw a bear trap at someone's face. Like, and and bite his like, nose off in another scene. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Like, you know, he throws a spear and just impales a person to a wall. Like, it's nuts. Like, these are the kind of movies that I kind of shut off that part of my brain that's looking for, like, Blue Bayou substan- yeah. uh, substance or past lives or, like, something like that or Green Knight. It's like... It's one of those things where I'm turning off my brain and I'm going to have a great time. And I feel like that actor, oh, I forgot his name. He was also in Bullet Train. but He was in Kick-Ass. He, Do you remember that? He was the kid yeah, from Kick-Ass 1 and 2. That's right. <laughs> he was Kick-Ass. He was Quicksilver also very briefly in the MCU. And then, uh, yeah, he's just, man, he's huge in that movie. He and is, yeah. I, I just, I just, I'm happy for him. I'm happy that he's getting this role and... The whole Sony cinematic universe is always interesting to me because these are just the existing IPs that Sony has, which are all like the Spider-Man villains, you know, yes, like that they yes. can do. So, um, yeah, that'll be cool. I heard that they are announcing Venom 3 soon, too. So, yep. like, it's just it's it's going to be crazy, especially since you got another Spider-Verse movie coming next year, you know. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I hope I hope so. I, those take so long to animate. Um, and I know. You know, the part two got pushed a couple of times. Well, I'll tell you this. In general, like Spider-Man Spider-Verse 1 ends and it's kind of ambiguous. You're like, oh, is there going to be a sequel? And it, But it, it would have been okay if there wasn't a sequel, right. you know? 
Um, I'm tr- trying to think of one of those like uh, Twilight, like, you know, part one and part two or whatever, you know. Like... It's essentially that. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly that. And they, of course, didn't want to call it part one because yeah. I feel like that's always a little bit of a nightmare and a little bit of cliche. I feel like it diminishes yep. uh, people's expectations of a movie thinking it's a part one of something like it, it is. It was a trend that I felt like started at Harry Potter and yeah. the Deathly Hollows. And it kind of made sense for that movie, but it I felt like it hasn't really made sense since that movie. Um, but like, yeah, so I've, you know, I'm, I appreciate that they avoided calling it part one, part two, because it it was a lot of work for the animators. And I watched it. I was just in, I was thoroughly impressed, but I was also thoroughly frustrated that it ends on like a cliffhanger, you know? Yeah. Guys, I remember working on trailers for it, like, you know, a year yeah. before it came out and it, like the animation wasn't done and it was like, you know, storyboard animatics and stuff. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. This is going to come out on the release that everyone's saying it is. And I believe it did get pushed. Yeah, no. Like considering when they said that their first pitch for the film, the Spider-Verse one film it took like two years and the, the, the shot was like 15 seconds long. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, it was like yeah. one guy who, who did this pitch for the film to be greenlit, you know? So, but yeah, that was, uh, that was for the most part, most of the trailers. I don't think there'll ever be a time where we can cover every single trailers, but these were definitely the trailers that definitely left an impact on the industry this week. Absolutely. Yep. There's definitely a lot of other ones. Just go to go to YouTube and <laughs> look up trailers. But um, yeah, we'll cover as many as we can possibly, and, yeah, and still no. keep it at around a sixty minute podcast each week. Yeah, of course, <laughs> yeah. Actually, have a really great topic today what's the topic so yeah this is an interesting one we talk about it pretty much every week because it's so prevalent and it's customs and remixes and just to give a quick rundown a custom is a piece of music that you're doing specifically for a trailer shop and they're they're telling you what they want and they're sending you notes and you're working with them and going back and forth getting revisions to get exactly what they want for their cut a remix is also usually a custom and that is taking a song like the two trailers we just talked about with cruel summer and crazy on you and remixing those, you know, classic songs and making them trailerized, changing their structure so that it fits like a, a more like three act trailer structure, adding sound design and strings and orchestra stuff and doing all that to, to create the track that ends up on the trailer. Um, so those are those are like really interesting things that we get to do as trailer music publishers. Um, but there's just so much to talk about. It's some people have never worked on them and are kind of confused or want to know more about them. And people who do work on them maybe don't even know that much about them. They just know that we're asking them to do something and they're doing it. Uh, so we the, the reason we brought this up is... Um, one of the guys I work with all the time, Joe Totino had sent in an email to us asking about customs. And then last week, Joe Valero, who gave us that uh, feedback for one of the trailer, uh, for one of the listener questions, he also followed up with that and was asking and suggesting that it would be a good topic. So like, you know, what better time than now? What better place than here? So let's, uh, yeah, let's get into it a little bit, man. I know you are a custom 
producer primarily. That's your job, right? At Ghost Writer? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, pretty much all I do at Ghost Writer is uh, manage the customs, bring customs in, send customs out, do the notes, you know, do the client interfacing with for customs. So um, a lot of these information is super prevalent to my day to day, more so than like, let's say our horror topics or something like that, where right. I might not be as strongly well versed in it. But like for customs and stuff, that's that's like that's my lane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. So well, let's see, let's go through some of these questions, I guess, because I think yeah. if we don't, we're going to kind of repeat ourselves a lot. Um, so Joe's original email to us was when working on customs, do you prefer a composer sending in their work in progress? thus giving the team more time to adjust and or restart a queue if it's not hitting the mark or sending a more finished product where the composer takes as much time as they're given to send you a V1, a first draft for you. Uh, but if they miss the mark, there might not be enough time to redo it for the deadline that you're getting. Um, so you want to talk about that a little bit? Because I feel like yeah. it's an issue that you face daily, multiple times. Yeah, no. So so there, you know, I feel like everything has specific tiers to them. Um, I feel like the composers that are super successful with me for customs are the composers that actually send it to me a little bit uh early and I call it buffer time just for me to have that time to be able to kind of go through it and be able to translate what I think needs to happen before it goes to the client. So, you know, with me working with a lot of these clients, when they say one thing, they definitely mean something specific yeah. and it's completely curated to them. If someone says, I don't know, man, make this section bigger. One person might think, oh, maybe I should grow the hybrid trailerization right here. Maybe I should go big orchestral here. But if I know this client, when he says make it big right there, I know it means let's just add some drum ramps, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's part so, of our job is to be that the middle person to communicate and be familiar with, with what people want and explain that to the composers. Yeah, no, definitely. So, like, when you're looking at uh, these kind of customs and stuff, and there's like a few day turnaround and stuff. I do try to be as realistic as I can be on if it's super tight, that means that there's just going to be less buffer room in general, but in no way, in no form uh, would I ever send something that would be listed as a work in progress to a client. Sure. It's one thing for me to hear and be able to kind of hear where the progress is and considering how much time it took to get to this point. I know that if they put X amount of time again into it that it's going to be a finished product um work in progress to me sending to clients is always just a bad idea um yeah. I, th I feel like they don't see it as a representation of it being a work in progress they see it as a representation of your art it's just not being a finished track and yeah exactly and they see that as what it's going to be for the final piece where you and i are seeing it as this is just a really rough draft yeah and and it's, it's a good way yeah. to, to sorry it's a good way for the composers to to share that with you and you can be like, oh no, this is not at all what, yeah. what we were talking about. So yeah. So now we still have a day. Let's, you know, restart this and you know how to guide them towards what you want. Yeah, no. So like I definitely go hands-on voice memos. I, I, I go into the trenches, even sometimes as far as going as I'm like, okay, I'm going to lay it out on this session. This is what they're talking about. And I'll just specifically key in and make my own music bed for them just mm -hmm. so that they can hear as a reference. Um, and or just give tons of references to what I'm thinking of, whether it's super obscure or super on trend. Um, 
And it's one of those things where uh, once it's getting to a good standpoint, I send it as a V1 and then we go from there. So, like, I try to, you know, um, gauge where the custom's at. And I feel like it's, you know, work in progress for me feels like if I get, like, a V1 or a V1 demo from a composer and it's about just, like, 70 or 80% there, like, we can definitely get it over the top, even if it's a little bit lower. But you can definitely tell when someone's work in progress is just, like, not going to hit the mark. Like, you you can definitely tell when it's not going to hit the mark. And it's definitely – and, you know, that's why a lot of uh, publishers would definitely do these cattle calls because Uh they definitely want to get one that's definitely closer. But I feel like a lot of it deals with in the initial execution when you bring on a composer. You know, like, if I have a – if it's, like, a neoclassical custom, I know exactly who I'm going to bring on it that I know is going to at least get me to the 80% for me to be able to give notes on before sending it as a V1. Totally, yeah. All this stuff is very contingent upon – the composer that you're working with i work with some composers who can really quickly you know blast out like a a v1 that may be like 70 percent there but you know how to guide them it's going to take a couple you know internal revisions before you send that v1 to the client but then i also work with some composers who will take a little bit longer so i'm waiting and i'm waiting and i'm waiting and i'm waiting and you know really want to hear what's happening but i know that they need that time to really build it out and and send me that more polished v1 yeah it, but like sometimes it's it's hard too because if they work right up to the deadline it's pretty much you're going in blind if there's oh, not yeah. enough time to re, like it gets to a point where they're like oh do you want to review it first i'm like it's kind of due so it doesn't <laughs> even if i have notes there's not enough there's not enough time to make any sort of tweaks or yep. anything so um you know sending it out you're kind of sending it out blind sometimes and then just going from there you can address notes after the fact you know and a lot of the times i always do this with some uh, of our newer producers and stuff they'll send me something i'm like i know exactly what notes they're going to come back with i know we can't change them right now but i know exactly what they're going to come back with and sure enough nine out of ten times they come back with that exact time code of this exact section or something do you ever send that note early to the composer to do like a v like 1.5 just so you can get ahead of it i you know it it definitely does depend because you know i definitely don't want them to have to do more More work than than they have to Mm -hmm. but i definitely let them know i'm like this isn't actionable yet but i definitely want you to consider this when let's say if notes were to come back i would just tackle these also because worst case is the client can always revert back to the previous version if they need if they don't like it you know so and you know something that i know isn't really addressed it's I feel like it's even more important for the V2 to sound good than the V1. The V1, you can have a myriad of reasons where it's not going to hit the mark. Maybe it's something where the client heard it after and you did exactly what they wanted, but it just didn't hit the mark on what they needed because they're now able to hear it, hear it against picture, hear it against list. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's even more important for the V2 to just be stellar because it, one, shows your ability to listen to the client and be able to adjust and adapt. But also at the same time, now we're getting even closer to what they think their vision is. I feel like V after V2 is a real turning point for a custom, if it's going to finish or not. Um, yeah. So moving on to the next question, this was the one from Joe Valero who, you know, obviously he's an editor, he's doing these things all the time, but he's not necessarily thinking about it from the publisher and the composer perspective all the time. Um, so what he, he wanted to know was what's your approach to remixes? How much of the DNA of the original do you keep? 
and what's it like cutting up an iconic song? So I, I come from a background of uh, playing drums for sessions and everything like that. And I don't really get a track in to listen to, to record drums to until like maybe a couple hours prior or maybe a day prior, whatever it is, it's always somewhat of a rush. And you, you want to be able to kind of make a lead chart. Essentially, it's the same thing where if I'm playing this and I'm performing this, I'm listening through to the song and picking key moments, especially if it's like a cover. I'm picking key moments that I know is iconic to the song. At the same time, you really want to think about it from like a mentality shift. Like you want to be able to think, if I'm paying X hundreds of thousands of dollars to get this song used in a trailer, I want to hear all the iconic parts of it. You're not going to get crazy train <laughs> without the riff and the laugh and, sure. you know, the the open staccatos, down, down, you know, like you're, you got to really think about it from that perspective because I feel like a lot of times when composers work on remixes, if they're not well seasoned enough, they kind of gloss over all the important parts. And, and this is an issue I came up with when I started doing customs and started doing remixes. I would find the best parts that I thought were good if I didn't know the song, but it's not necessarily the part that really stood out for a lot of people. And uh, so I try to really think about it from that perspective. Um, when I lay out a song, I, I just literally lay out the full audio bed uh, of the song. And then I literally just go through and I splice and I highlight sections. I highlight parts and then I move that down to a new duplicated track. Mm. And then from there I can start to assemble uh, dynamically how a song is going to work in a two minute, um, two minute structure, as opposed to, let's say a four or five minute song Yeah, and what part you're, you're able to relinquish and what, what section, you know, like generally what section you're able to sacrifice and from there, how to build it where it keeps the integrity and the soul of the song, you know, while at the same time elevating it because, you know, it needs it. Yeah. That's, that's all good information. Um, and really interesting. And I mean, and it's not like there's any one rule. I mean, I've definitely heard stuff you've done where it is just like a, a vocal over like an entirely yeah. original music bed. You know, it's gonna gonna vary. Like you said, like yeah, for like Crazy Train or something that is super iconic like that. I think when uh, I first started doing trailers, the first song that we did to remix was uh, Blur's song too. And you know, that's yeah. like woohoo! And yeah, you know, it has like so many iconic moments. Um, and it was, I, I had to kind of fight to get those stems because I was a new publisher and luckily I knew like the partner of the drummer and she went to bat for me and like, you know, got, um, got them to, to send me the stems so we could work on that stuff. But yeah, you know, like, uh, like Joe was saying, like, what's it like to cut an iconic song? Well, it's just so cool when you get those stems for like a song that you've loved for years and you can yeah. like play through, you know, and just like geek out a little bit, like listen to just the drums, listen to just the bass, you know, um, and kind of like deconstruct it just for fun before you even start working on it. I always, not always, but I tend to do that a lot when we get stems, just like, oh man, this is what, you know, thinking about what they're like in the studio. Um, so I like, yeah, it, it's cool. I mean, you know, it, it's fun. I like to geek out. I think the more you do it, the kind of less of a excitement there is about it, obviously. It's not like law of diminishing returns. Yeah. But it still is nice to take a minute and be like, oh, okay. Yeah, how I always kind of post about it on LinkedIn. It was like, oh, it's like I got to be part of the band, even if it was for <laughs> <Yeah>. like a week. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, like it's, you know, I feel like whenever we get stems, hell, even if we get um, 
instrumental and acapella splits yeah. for them it makes such a huge difference to the quality that we can actually you know do for these kind of projects and um yeah they definitely do uh interchange in terms of the brief whether it's something that you need a lot of work to or something that you need very sparse work to because i've definitely done a lot of trailers where it it was a lot of light touch stuff where you yeah. might not really notice it inherently right away but it's all there like i remember when we were working on uh uh, Travis produced uh, mid '90s the 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 trailer uh -huh. for mid '90s for uh, A24 was Jonah Hill's um, directorial debut, um, but like we had to mash up songs, but it was so like light touch and it was so subtle, but it worked in the context of the trailer. And you know, I know I remember working on uh, well hearing it be worked on and there was so many chances that we could have gone a little bit harder on but that wasn't what the trailer needed and sure. ultimately that's not what the trailer wanted to finish with so like you know it definitely does dep depend there could be trailers that are super light to it does de definitely depend and there are the prestigious oscar bait type trailers right. where it wants to really soar and then like i was talking about with uh Ghostbusters and stuff, there are a lot of times where the trailerization, there's always this term called breakout, where it just wants to break out of the song, but, you know, of course wants to still stay in the lane of it. I remember when we were working on uh, Wendell and Wild, um, we we did, it opened with the song, um, it was a song I, I believe they wrote for um, for the, the picture itself by Koichi, mm -hmm. and then, um, you know, it kind of did its thing, and then we broke out, we went into this whole orchestral thing, it was in the same key and tempo. And then when we watched the trailer, we noticed that they took the vocal stem from that song and put it into our back end, even though we didn't do it, but it's still all tethered together. And they didn't, it was, it was a request that they didn't even have to ask us for. They just put it in, you know, because everything kind of was mapped together, which is the beauty of customs, you know? Yeah, absolutely. The editors have so much control and, and leeway and uh, creativity to take the stuff that you're doing and add to it or, you know, yeah no like i know there's always like this like argument of like you know customs to catalog and stuff and there are things that customs can do that you know that catalog has to take a back seat to so yeah and it's you know it's just popular it's in the zeitgeist right now and it's what all the clients want the studios want you know it's just it's going to be here for a while so it's worth uh getting comfortable with it and you know trying it out and finding some stuff and um I've got a lot of other questions to get to that I, I don't want to start talking and, and sure, <laughs> repeat sure, myself sure. over and over again. Yeah, yeah. Um, Moving I, on. Yeah, because I do want to. I, I want to say stuff, but I want to answer these questions as well because they're good. All right. So let's see. Who do I have next? Jake Cox via uh, Facebook. He says, "Is writing custom something you can ease into as a part-time composer, or do you really need to be full-time in order to commit the time required?" Um, which is what I was actually sort of starting to talk about is, you know, customs or remixes in general, or we're talking about remixes right now for the most part, um, is super popular. So it's something you should be practicing, even if that means like, you know, even if no one's like a publisher isn't calling you up and asking you to do something, it's pretty easy to get an acapella and an instrumental, um, or stems, you know, just use Google and, and start playing around with it and, you know, get, get comfortable because we're always looking for people to help us out on remixes, but it's hard to take a chance on someone who's never done one because the deadlines are just so tight. And if it's not working out and there's not enough time, then, you know, you're kind of 
up a creek without a paddle. And you don't want to get into those situations because then clients aren't going to want to call you. But it's also another case of you don't want to put too many composers on one thing. Yeah. So uh, what I'll tend to do is if I want to try out a new composer for customs, I'll you know give the give it to one of the established people that I work with, but then let them both know that I'm bringing someone else in to like kind of get comfortable and, and take a crack at it. But I don't like doing cattle calls. Yeah, no, I try to stay away from that as much as possible because there's already so much competition out there. And the key is transparency, especially when I'm working with a new composer and I'm like really handholding. I probably start them on like much smaller tiered stuff. We've talked about tiers before, sure. um, put them on the tier fours and the tier threes. Maybe, you know, I'm definitely not using a new composer on the high risk, high reward thing, because honestly, if they if they do just those all year, they might end up with nothing and they'll just yeah. have a bad taste about customs in general. So I um uh, uh, handhold as much as I can for it. But then if there's options, I let them know. Um, some, some of my, you know, most of my full-time composers now started with me as part-time composers. They were working other jobs. They were side hustling everywhere else because they needed to make money to pay bills. And I get it. So they worked part-time with us before they were able to transition to full-time. So it's just one of those things. Once you align yourself with a publisher, just kind of be honest about your schedule. A lot of my uh, composers, whether they're part-time or full-time, Monday rolls around and they send me their schedule for the week just so that I know what they can do, cannot do. And honestly, if it's something that I feel like, oh, one person can work on it, but then another person can remix their stuff and they can be like a co-write situation. So everyone sure. kind of makes money. That's always something I do consider, especially if it's a composer that I know can really kill it, but not might not be around for revisions and like next day turnarounds. Yeah. I try to be as fair as I can. So like, you know, that's, you know, the purpose of it. at the end of the day, you want to, you want to win, you want to make money. So, um, that's, that's the whole goal. So yeah, it I is mean, possible. It- that stuff's going to happen too. Like, you know, these customs, they, they're a rush. They're usually like one or two days. And then sometimes it might be weeks or months before it finishes or before you're doing like, you know, your V2s, your V3s. So the original composer could be on vacation, could be sick. Yeah. And then, yeah, you're going to have to bring someone else in to, to do that revision. Yeah. And it's hard. And I know that a lot of composers are like, well, you know, can you give me a heads up when it's going to come in? We don't know when we don't it's going to come in. Yeah. Like there's only a certain amount of control we have. And that's even on the vendor side. The vendor doesn't know. Sometimes they'll be like, hey, what's going on with this project? And they'll be like, I don't know. I haven't heard yeah, about it. Yeah. We submitted it. And we're just waiting for notes from the yeah. producer. Yeah. And it'd be like maybe a year later, they'll be like, oh, yeah. Trailer's finally finishing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, like, so, uh, yeah, it's 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 definitely lawless in, in some areas. So we try to bring some sort of structure to it. But um, in the most case, yes, it is possible to kind of start at this part time. But just be completely transparent about your schedule and be honestly completely transparent about your skill level. So the first thing I usually do is try to get uh, a feel for what they can and cannot do. And then that's usually the first project that they're going to get is something that's within that realm. And then we can build out from there. So, but yeah, that's, it can work. Thank yeah. you for the question, Jake. Well, yeah. Which sort of feeds into that is uh Mark Petri, who is uh, an amazing composer in his own right. I think a lot of people have heard his work, including uh, Dune with Hans Zimmer. He did that trailer couple yeah, summers the ago final trailer the first dune yeah um and you know feeding off that he says is from facebook is working on customs a sustainable gig for a composer or is it burnout inevitable seems like custom specialists the ones that do it every day are almost all under the age of 30 
um, which sort of feeds into like what we were talking about with Jake's question with, as far as like full-time part-time and also what we talked about last week with having a tough skin and sustainability longevity, um, yeah. you know, we're calling people up at like, you know, nine o'clock at night, trying to get a trailer queue done by the next morning, next afternoon. So if you're not a full-timer or if you've got family and young kids and you know, you're not going to have as much time to do that. So yeah, there's going to tend to be more burnout, um, as you get older or not even burnout, but just unavailability. Yeah. Priorities change. Um, as you get a little bit older, you know, I've noticed it with myself. Um, I was doing full-time custom writing myself for like a year. And then, uh, when we were planning to have a family, I was just like, I have to be able to shift gears into more of a producer role because I need to be able to have that sense of flexibility. Also, I needed to sleep. So <laughs> I, I completely get it. Um, I think it's sustainable if you're smart about it. I think customs, like any other profession, it's going to be, it's sustainable. It'd be like asking an Uber driver if he's driving 80 hours a week, if it's right. sustainable, you know? Um, I think it's sustainable if you have some sort of tapered and limiters to it, like knowing what kind of um, free time you're able to have. I have composers that are completely unavailable for weekends, and they're my full-time composers that make a pretty decent living doing this. They are off after 7. They start early in the morning because if there's a late night thing, they can start early in the morning and get it done. Um, but I, they don't work over the night and they don't work over the weekends. And that's like a good portion of my composers, you know, um, just even our in-house people, our in-house composers and stuff like that, they're out after like a certain time at night and I don't reach out to them on the weekends. And if it's due, you know, we try to push deadlines as much as we can, um, for, you know, the benefit of our composers, because it's just, it's a, it's a natural discussion. It's longevity. So, um, I think that burnout can happen, but that's really dependent on the composers themselves wanting to take that on. But I feel like if they, um, if they follow my tier list, then I think they should be good. Yeah. Um, another point to that. So, you know, on Facebook, the trailer composer support group, Facebook group that were many of us are a part of, this topic comes up a lot, which is another reason why we wanted to discuss it on the podcast. Um, but one of the things that people bring up every single time that it starts being talked about is kill fees, um, which is basically getting paid for doing the trailer if it doesn't end up finishing. So yeah. you're going to spend like two days working on this trailer. It doesn't end up finishing, but hey, maybe you'll get 300, 500 bucks, something like that. Um, but it's not as common as we all wish it was for various reasons. Yeah. The way that people get paid in this industry is different. It's peculiar. The trailer shops are getting paid for doing their cuts, even if it doesn't finish where we're yeah, they not get paid the hourly. Yeah. We're that's not us. So it's becoming a little more prevalent as days go by where the trailer shops are offering the kill fees, um, especially if you're established and you're doing a lot and you're getting a lot of wins if you're like a ghost rider or a totem or a cavalry, um, then they feel more comfortable offering up that money out of pocket because the chances are it's probably going to finish more times than not, uh, versus taking chances on some smaller publishers. Yeah, it's hard. It's like you're, you, you talk to composers that want to implement it and stuff like that. And you would be effectively ending a lot of new composers chance to kind of work on certain projects. Um, because if the, 
if the vendor the vendor doesn't pay anything by the way people are like oh the trailer house will clear it the trailer yeah. house will pay it the trailer yeah. house doesn't pay anything like literally trailer houses they get all the ideas and they send it out and the clearance team uh license it out and it'll be like maybe like a small social campaign or or a video game campaign where they'll actually have to negotiate the the budget with you and that's the only yeah. time they'll actually bring money into it but even so it's one of those things where um i've seen kilfies actually a lot more this year uh, with uh, bigger projects that require a lot of live recordings mm. and stuff they usually comp those um but if not, if they don't comp them, let's say I'm working on a custom with uh, X composer and they want a female singer, we're the ones paying out of pocket yeah, for all absolutely. of that. We're not, we're paying for all of that out of pocket, and we don't even do a recoupable on like mix or masters or anything like that. But yeah, I'm saying the only the main way that we've come combat the competitive nature of customs and the trailer industry as a whole is we try not to we try not to power load competition between our team. You mm-hmm. know, if it's a custom that's coming out like if it's uh yada yada it's usually just one composer and if it's multiple composers most of the time both multiple like all the customs for it would go through like family was a huge example that uh the client asked for two versions of it but they ended up clearing both versions Mm. alongside like three originals and like a, a whole like dozen batch of sound design it was one of those things where yeah we had a lot of composers on this project, but I feel like when we finished this trailer, every one of those composers got paid for it, you know? So we try to be as fair as we can be. And if it's a campaign that we know there's like, Oh, it's a little, it's going to be a little bit harder. The only thing that we can do to combat that is have this one composer. And I'm pretty straight with them. Like, do you just want to work on this campaign? Like, it'll just be you. Like if they have an all idea, it's just going to be on you, you know, that way, at least if it comes from us, that they're going to win the project. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it goes back to cattle calls like not doing them. And, you know, we keep bringing that up. But uh, and I don't know who or what, you know, other publishers are doing, because that's just I don't know, I'm not working for them. (laughs) But yeah, I know I don't like to do cattle calls. It sounds like you don't either, which is basically there's a couple ways that I consider a cattle call to, to be one is you're getting a custom directly from a shop and they want you to send them an idea, you know, within the next day or so, and they're definitely going to do revisions and notes. And that's what they're going to probably be working with the cut. So in which case you might want to send them a few different options or like, you know, have a few different composers on it. Yeah. It it definitely depends if it's like a super easy ass. I remember I got asked to just do a main title outro for something and it was like 10 seconds long. And I'm like, all right, I'll do, I'll I'll just have that same composer do a few options for it because they gave us like three days, you know? Right, right, right. Um, But then like, it's just, it's just hard because I feel like it's, it's like a band. I don't know. Maybe I'll I'll use this analogy, but maybe it'll work. It's like if you took duct tape and you duct tape someone's arm and then you ripped it off and you put it back on, you ripped it off, you put it back on, you rip it off. It loses that adhesion. And I feel like that's the same way when I'm like just reaching out to like 10 composers and I'm like, here's the brief. I feel like I've lost all adhesion with any of the composers and I'm just sending what they got. And it's a real bad habit to get into. Yeah. And it feeds into that sort of burnout as well. Like I know there's, um, some publishers who will get, you know, we all get like briefs from music supervisors and they want, they're like, Hey, you know, do you have anything that is this, or do you have any remixes of a song like this? And it's, that's a catalog pull. You know, they want what you've got already recorded, send it over. There's not enough time for a custom. Maybe they need it like the next day, but they don't want you to like record something new, but then some people will send that out to like 10 different composers 
and be like, hey, yeah. we've got this custom. Will you do this for us? And the composer's like, oh, cool. We're on a custom, you know, the chances yeah. of winning that custom uh, might it's be even like, lower. you know, yeah, it's going to be, you know, close to zero, right? Because you're. There's been, there's only been two times that I've done that in terms of like, I got a brief in and I know, I, I, I knew I didn't have that, but at the same time, it was so specific. Mm -hmm. I knew no one else that they reached out to would have it either. But if that's the case, I knew I was going to win it. And the time that happened uh, was, uh, it was for the anime song for Valorant. Mm -hmm. And it was because they reached out to trailer publishers and they're like, we need Japanese spoken song in the vein of an anime song. And in my head, I'm like, no one's going to have that. Yeah, but you know, you so, can record that and send it over yeah. with original yeah, vocals. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to, I am I have a demo that I've done before in my studio. I'm going to get this done, flesh it out. And then they had like a day. They're like, we need options by like 5 p.m. the next day. And I put that on myself mm -hmm. to do, you know, not not any one of my composers because I'm, it was a low chance. But I knew that it was a higher chance because I knew no one was going to have it. And sure enough, that was the, the song that they used for the for the anime. So, um, yeah, they, I try to avoid it. The cattle calls. Um, the only time I'll use options is if the client was like, hey, it'd be really great if I got like two two takes on this. And if that's the case, my briefs are varied between them. Mm -hmm. It's not a copy-paste type thing. And for better or for worse, my briefs are always pretty laid out to the point where I'm, I'm like, this is exactly what I'm looking for. Because the thing I kind of hate is the guessing game because I don't like guessing what the client wants when they call me. So I definitely... I come across like this is exactly what I want when I talk to a composer because that just breeds a better project because they're confident. They're not, it's not meandered, you know, mm -hmm. they're not so, trying to, yeah. trying to think of like, Oh, what might they want? And they're sitting around wasting time you know, that you yeah. don't have. So yeah, you, you focus them in on something specific and then they're yeah. going to hit the ground running. Oh yeah. Like my briefs, uh, I, I describe what's happening in the picture, but I actually don't even know what movie it is. Sometimes <laughs> I don't even know what the picture is. I just describe, I'm like at th th this part right here, it shows over the city and then it goes into the characters and then it really opens up the story right here. The character does this character does this. Like, uh, we worked on this one project and I looked back at my brief. I'm like, I was kind of close to what was actually in the picture, but all they told me was the movie name, you know? Right. Or sometimes so, not even the movie name. They'll just say, yeah, exactly. it's an action movie with a robot, yeah. you know, yeah, <laughs> protagonist. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. So you're just kind of guessing. And that was, that's always one of the main questions I ask clients. I'm like, I ask them deadline and movie name and song assets. That's literally the three questions I tend to ask them. And then I just kind of go off from there. And it's a myriad of like a dozen different type briefs. And then I, if I look up the movie, I'm like, oh, it's an action comedy. I know it's going to require stop downs for jokes. I know it's going to do this. I know it's going to need this. I know it's going to need a button joke. I know it's going to need a certain thing. So it's always good for me to know what kind of film it is. So it kind of just all pl plays into this one uh, type brief. Totally. Got one more question here. It's kind of a... Uh a bit longer one but i think we can figure it out it's from andrew skipper from facebook and he yeah. says is it worth considering doing a ton of remixes of syncable tracks that you feel suit a specific genre such as loads of creepy christmas songs for horror or explosive rap for action games movies or say slow burn epic versions of 80s classics but basically get quite a few done so the publisher can pitch then leave the licensing issues to the trailer house if they like one um <sighs> Not for a custom, but if that's, uh, 
I like to, we talk about this occasionally. I like to be proactive. I like to get things done and have them available because yeah. it's something that I think is going to be good down the road. Um, it's worked out for you and it's worked out. So yeah. So I recently did like uh, a batch of remixes and sent those out to uh, trailer music supervisors because I get a lot of briefs. Like we were talking about where they're asking for things for a catalog poll and I don't have that. And I'm like, Oh mm -hmm. man, you know, this is a, a spot in my catalog that I need to fill out a little bit. So then I'll start to think about like, Oh, let's just do a couple of these, you know, classic rock remixes or, yeah. you know, different things like that. Um, so, and, and then, you know, I'm not the only person who does that. There's lots of publishers. I, I know uh ghostwriter did a whole, like what kiss remix album a few years back. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was our collaboration with Mojo and they wanted to get that done and stuff. So it was like a proactive thing, you know? And yeah. And I've seen other publishers posting about their, like, you know, creepy Christmas song remixes or whatever. Those are probably uh, covers more often than remixes for yeah, Christmas songs. PD, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something worth doing. Um, like I said earlier, it's good practice. If you're a composer and you're like, oh, I really want to do um, some slow burn epic versions of 80s classics, give it a shot and then, you know, send them to publishers that you work with or you want to work with to show your skill. Yeah. And let them I know how you can be of assistance. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry for interrupting no, no. you, but yeah, no, definitely. I thought, I thought that was the end. I'm like, yeah, yeah. But, um, in general, yeah, I think it's a good testament to your abilities and I think it's a good showcase of your, your, your kind of work and what you can do. And I've definitely found composers. I'm like, man, that's a really cool remix you did. Um, a lot of the times, um, we don't, <laughs> we honestly don't take them, uh, when someone just sends me like a remix right. of a song or a creepy cover or yada, yada, only because, I feel like it creates this whole can of worms later on down the line. And I honestly just feel like instead of doing that, you can just do a couple and then use that as a showcase for publishers, certain publishers. Like mm -hmm. if you're a smaller publisher doing customs and stuff like that, that might be really cool to have for any of the mid-sized ones and stuff. I just feel like we're actively always trying to recycle our dead customs. And we definitely want to put a priority on those as opposed to, um, you know, something like this, you know, where we might even have like, man, I bet you if I asked you to pull up all of your action rap remixes, you probably have a ton too, you know, so there's such a backlog. And I definitely want to make sure that the people that have done this stuff for us before in the past, especially since it was on spec to get that yes. sort of priority. And I try to I try to go through periods of time too. when if a composer is sending me submissions, I definitely go through those routes. I'm like, I definitely want to, especially during COVID when it was right when COVID started, we definitely put a stop on all new submissions because we're like, we just want to be able to prioritize and yes. help our career working with. Yeah, absolutely. Composers because they all need to make money too. So there is not so much like there's a sense of like priority or a hierarchy or anything like that. It was just a sense of loyalty because loyalty, they've, always, yeah. they, they, they've always done right by us. We definitely will always try to do right by them. And if, if it's ever a chance, I'm like, man, so-and-so composer did a bunch of Christmas horror stuff last year for this campaign for us, and none of them really landed. Well, we're going to put those together and send them first before we get someone else's submission of them, you know? Yeah, yeah. We're not getting paid unless the trailers are finishing, and the composers yeah. aren't getting paid unless the trailers are finishing. But yeah. it's you know, stinks to be a composer who keeps 
working on these awesome things that aren't finishing for whatever reason. And so, like you said, you know, you want to try to recycle those and get those to land and repay them for their hard work, you know, have some loyalty and also fight that burnout. Yeah, no, exactly. So nothing feels quite as good as an old custom just coming back and you don't have to do any additional revisions on them and they just finish. You know, we've had customs come back. This was, I felt like the year of recycled customs too. This Mm. was the year that everyone didn't ask as much for new customs, but definitely asked for like, hey, do you have this song already? And then and then from there it gets customized further. Yeah. Like I can't I can't tell you how many times a certain song of ours has just been, you know, continually worked on and then <laughs> yeah. died and then come back. And it's one of my customs too. So it's like a version twenty right now from all the different campaigns it's been on. But um but yeah, it's just one of those things. So yeah, I uh, I think for Andrew down to basics, I think it's great as a showcase if you want to work with a com- with a custom producers or a custom publisher and stuff. But I like I wouldn't take them. Yeah, or, or before you do them, I mean, maybe do some for practice. But you yeah, know, reach out to some publishers and see yeah. if there's anything specifically that they're working on. Like I just said, I you know just did a batch of remixes and I'm trying to do those kind of every month because I haven't been around as long as some other publishers and I'm trying to build yeah. up that catalog. So yeah. that I do have more stuff that I know is going to get asked for. Like you said, yeah. they're asking for recycled customs. Well, maybe it's not recycled, but it's something that we did because I thought it was going to work. Yeah. Hey, that's that's how they all, you know, that's how it all starts, man. I remember that's how you like landed Five Nights at Freddy's. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> right. Like you, want, you wanted it so bad. You're just like, I'm going to get this done. And then it worked. You know, it just the passion bleeds through and that's, and that's why we talked about last week, people sending lists and stuff because generally they have that passion put into those projects, you know, that they work on and that they like that they want to do. So, um, but yeah, that's my answer for Andrew. Yeah. I'm, that's pretty much it. Um, the one thing that I wanted to bring up is when working on customs, send stems for every version. I yes can't say this enough. And I honestly sometimes forget to tell composers that, but it should just be yeah. your general habit. habit for when you're working on customs. You finish yeah. your V1, bounce stems, you know, send over your V1 to the publisher, then bounce those stems, put them in a folder. If we send you notes for revision, bounce those stems, send them in a folder. Cause Brian, like you said a little while ago, maybe they're the um, editor isn't going to love the changes from the V3 in that, you know, middle section but they can go back to the V2, pull some of that. So yeah, sometimes we're like licensing like the first section of a V2, the third section of a V4, and it's just great to have those stems available so that if we say, hey, we, we need these, you can send them, you know, in case you're like away from your computer yeah, or out of your studio, you know, or just like you're in bed or whatever, like just have them available so that you can just like jump into Dropbox or whatever and send them over. Yeah, I, I take it even a step further, especially if I'm like on under the wire and stuff. They prep them and send it to me with the V1. Like they'll send me the review file. Mm-hmm. Once I approve it, they send me the V1 relabeled everything with the stems right underneath it on Disco. And then I have it there for, till the end of time. Like, exactly. Not, no Wii transfer, no Dropbox, just straight up Disco. Just everything's on there. You can do the ad sections and then boom, yep. done. And then I can I, I can organize it, clean it, and then send it out. And I have those there on file. Um, it's always hard with them. You know, I we've definitely had to build an infrastructure because I'm just a chaos. I'm a chaotic ball of 
you know, I'm a mess. Um, and for the longest time, I was just like, okay, I just relied on the cl- on the composer sending me files. I'll just save those, but then sometimes they might delete it or something <laughs> like that. So yeah, from my end too, just print the stems, put on disco for me when you're sending it. So absolutely, boom. I think we talked about this for for enough time for now. Um, this is a topic that is going to keep coming up day in, day out, week in, week out. And we're probably going to come back to it again. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's we're probably maybe at some point going to bring on a guest and talk with them and get some more feedback, especially on a topic like customs and remixes uh, from like a client side, you know, a music supervisor or an editor or something that can kind of give their perspective on things. Because the more that we know, the more that you know, the less likely there's going to be that burnout you can be more selective and, and, you know, really hone in on what you're trying to do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's uh, like they said in GI Joe, you know, knowing is half the battle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's all the questions for today, man. We did it. We did it. This is a long episode, I think. Um, but yeah, really great information. Um, really great questions. I should say from these composers from Facebook. Really great answers from you, man. And really great answers from me. Yeah. (laughs) Really great answers that we gave you guys, but, uh, (laughs) no, it's just, it's a great topic to talk about and we'll be talking about it some more. Yep. In the meantime, while we're not talking about it, you guys can follow us on social media. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, threads discord <laughs> discord uh, yeah jump on discord there's a really great community building over there a lot of fun conversations happening a lot of collaborations and uh you know it's a good place to to chat with people who are into trailer music composing yeah definitely and then uh you know obviously leave us reviews on the old apple podcasts we want five yeah. stars and we want some words if you think it's not five stars, just lie. <laughs> just lie. Five stars. But then, you know, say what you really feel in the comments. It's the stars that matter. <laughs> yeah. There you go. All right. Cool, man. Well, that's that's the end of the episode. Let us know and cue the outro music. Music.